Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Today's guest is Paul Schulte, and he is the author of the book, We Agnostics, How William James, Father of American Psychology, Advanced a Spiritual Solution to Addiction, How a Venerated Harvard Doctor Inspired the 12-Step Movement. So Paul is going to talk about William James's philosophy and what he brought to addiction treatment and addiction care and how his work strongly influenced Bill Wilson's work, the founder of uh, the 12-step program Alcoholics Anonymous, and talk about how William James was able to articulate the theme he saw in human change that has been talked about in religious circles and spirituality for over 3,000 years. That theme that goes through it of a person who is lost, feels broken, is able to find their way out and find serenity and calmness. So in this episode, we dig deep into looking at that and, and talking about it. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. It was great to really kind of step back and look at the themes that are there in human change and in that, I guess I could say, desire to feel different, be different, to get out of our suffering. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, share it with a friend or write a review on iTunes. I really do appreciate that as well. And think about joining our Facebook group and just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. 
All right, everyone, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Addicted Mind. My guest is Paul Schulte, and we're going to talk about his book, We Agnostics, How Williams James, Father of American Psychology, Advanced a Spiritual Solution to Addiction. Paul, I'm really excited to get into this topic and to talk about it and get your thoughts on it. So first, please introduce yourself. Okay, so yeah, so I'm from LA, uh, where you are, and I am Irish German, and so, you know, Southern German and Irish, and so that makes me a really good candidate for, you know, the potentiality for addiction, and there's a lot of that in my family, and I've lost, you know, two family members because of alcoholism, and so it's something that's near and dear to my heart, and so around 18 years ago, 17 years ago, I went back to school and I got a degree in counseling and drug and alcohol addiction counseling. And I did a, a, a internship at the UCLA School of Medicine. And that got me really turned on about you know, what was going on with different types of treatment and the influences in the 12-step movement. And I really I came across William James' book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, which has had a tremendous influence on American life. You know, it's been an international bestseller off and on for a century. And it's a a very influential book in medical programs, in theological programs, in philosophy programs. And of course, he himself is one of the only professors ever in the history of Harvard who taught philosophy, psychology, and medicine. He taught in three schools at Harvard. And so he wrote this book about his own brother, right? So William James's brother, uh, Robertson, was, uh, had a terrible problem with alcoholism and was a Civil War veteran and came back from the Civil War very messed up, PTSD. And, and in fact, his brother had died of alcoholism. And so William James threw a lot of energy into this, you know, and, and, and of course, he had developed all these ideas about the unconscious and where these urges come from with humans to suddenly stop behavior that was a chronic problem before. And his question in this book is, what causes these transformations in humans? And of course, uh, Bill Wilson got this book right about when he was getting cleaned up and found it Alcoholics Anonymous. And he got this book from a friend called Evie Thatcher. And he that book was very influential in the 12-step movement. And at the time, just to kind of set the stage, at the time, there wasn't a lot of treatment or options for alcoholics. It was just seen as a this moral issue that was out there and people were looking for some kind of help, some kind of solution. Yeah, that's right. I mean, essentially, the, the solution that they had before the establishment of, of the 12-step program was, you know, throw you in a, in a cell with a, and throw away the key. You know, uh, basically... Right. It, sanitariums, absurd types of, um, what do you want to call it, therapies that were like, you know, mud baths and, and warm springs and... and <laughs> right, yeah. But, but this was seen as so uh, in, inefficient and, and uh, you know, William James was on to something about the obsession of the mind, but certainly the spiritual element of trying to get cleaned up. That was a very big quantum leap in the understanding of addiction. Right. I, he, he talks about in some of his work, what I was reading, like the the wretched soul, the lost yeah. soul, 
which I think anybody who's struggling with addiction can understand that feeling of deep brokenness. And he started to talk about that and put that out there and look at it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So about the, the the middle quarter of the book was sort of sort of like, you know, between 40% of the way in to around 60% of the way in is all about drunkards. But the, the general theme, the overtone of the book is there, there are six sold people and there's happy minded people. And, and the six sold person, they are like a shuttlecock in a badminton game. Their minds go back and forth. They feel alienation. They feel their mark is fear. That's exactly the words that William James uses. So uh, fear, alienation, a lot of self-pity, resentment, and bitterness about sort of being seen as an outsider, as a bystander in life and unwilling, uh, unable to see through the window to the banquet. And so you're exactly right. And he says, and by the way, these people reach a moment of self-despair when everything they try to do only makes things worse. And at that moment of self-despair, people who get to that moment of self-despair quickest are drunkards. He uses the word drunkard. Addiction wasn't a word then, right? Yeah. So so he talks about, in in the book, he talks about alcoholism, cocaine, opioids, opium, basically, at the time. And uh, interestingly, nitrous oxide, because he himself admitted in his series of lectures that formed the book that he had uh, sort of adventures in nitrous oxide. And so laughing gas, right? And so, you know, there's a lot of people who are not, you know, alcoholics who are soul sick. A lot of people, Al-Anon is is its own soul sickness, right? Right, right, yeah. And so so this is where, what happens to the soul sick person when they reach a moment of self-despair? There is a natural human tendency to surrender to some higher power, even if it only is a higher, better self, even if only for a brief moment. And that is a fundamental principle of uh, the 12 step movement, your own right. higher power, your own understanding, even if it's a moment by moment affair. And that is what William James you know, created. That's what he understood of, of all the people that he had treated. And he gives these examples of the people he treated in the book. So, so let's go back just, just a little bit, because I want to know a little bit about why this struck you so strongly, like you resonated with what he was saying. And you had seen addiction in your own life, you had people die from addiction. I mean, it motivated you to, to do this. And there was something about that, maybe that surrender that spoke to you or these his words spoke to you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Certainly. I always have felt like I was on the outside looking in, and I, I, I always felt like I was less than, and I always felt like I was a kind of a fake and a fraud and a phony. And I'll just tell you, you know, I, I the, the reality is I got, I was number two in my university. I, I was summa cum laude, and, and, and I didn't even drink back then, and I was convinced I was going to f- fail out. <laughs> right, where does, right. Where in the hell does that come from, right? So I had this thing in me this weird soul sickness in me way before I picked up my first drink. And so that resonated with me uh, to a great extent. I also was in a, I was working in financial services. I hated it. You know what I did? I went to lunch. I just resigned and went to lunch and I didn't go back. And, you know, I, I, life was meaningless, even though I made very good money. I had all these goodies. I had my, my car and my right. house. 
life was just like, what the, what the hell am I doing? WTF, right? And so I get it. I understood all that, right? And, and, and my dad had died from alcoholism and my brother had died from alcoholism two years later. And so I just couldn't process anything. And I, I think I definitely grew up in an alcoholic family with a raging alcoholic father who was very uh, violent and abusive. And so, so that all resonated with me very much about a guy like William James, who is like one of the great minds of the century. And he's like, you know, I, I couldn't put two and two together. My life was meaningless. He was suicidal. He was chronically depressed, and he was hooked on nitrous oxide. Right, right. Yeah. Um, somebody once asked him if he enjoyed Hegel, and he said, "I only enjoy Hegel when I'm on laughing gas." And I, <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, wow. a true story. But it's 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 like a you know you know what is so interesting is that it's it's like this universal. Here's this person, this great philosopher, reaching out to you. And you're going, oh my gosh, I, re I relate to this person. He's giving words to my experience. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly right. And so, uh, and by the way, you know, a, a very important theme of the book is that, you know, and, and I, by the way, I was in seminary for four years when I was at university. I was in Catholic seminary and I was going to on my way to be a priest, but I, I just I lost my faith and I wasn't interested in doing that. And I walked out the door. And after I walked out the door, I didn't go back to church again. You know, I really lost my faith. And, you know, what he is very clear about is that I'm going to tell you, he says, by the way, to a, a room full of some very high and mighty religious leaders globally, that the, the path that I'm going to draw for you in the next 450 pages, a lot of work in Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism, uh, the Catholic mystics, Protestantism, Transcendentalism, uh, Sufism, Islam. It's all the same thing. Crisis of self-despair, reaching out to a higher power that suddenly offers us uh, a way out, a sense of propulsion, confessing of those ancient, those ancient sins, those ancient hurts, and then right, right. Uh, having a dam of tears, and, and then feeling a sense of, of community, of, of, of union, and life is bigger, and then helping others, right? Uh, you know, the helping others part is, is a natural outcome. It's not something that we should do. It's something that we get to do. And so he said, this is all the same thing in all these different religious movements for the last 3,000 years. And that's what right. really going about the book was like, wow, this is, the, I, I wasn't aware that there's basic veins of similarity in all these different uh, spiritual movements in human history. Yeah, that here it is. He he saw the thread through all of it. It reminds me of Joseph Campbell's work in The Power of Myth, where he you know he took all the myths and, and you could see this vein through it and this universality of it and the universality of the human condition that this is part of it. This is in some ways how <laughs> where we are and how we work to repair ourselves and it's been part of mm -hmm. our humanity. Yeah, 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 and, and that's exactly right. It's a great point. And, and, you know, William James talks about that, that what happens is that these ideas that were, were, were hot in the, uh, of taking a drink, of taking a drug, of wanting to escape, that feeling of self-loathing and alienation and fear, which are basically the three marks of that soul sick, they move away and we move toward a new center of heat uh, and light, which is uh, a sense of serenity, peace of mind, 
uh, fellow feeling and that two things, right? The mark of a spiritual experience is twofold. One, life gets bigger. And number two, we feel like we belong, that there's a union with other people. And, and if we have those two marks, that's exactly what we're talking about. And so, so it's really, uh, and, and he says that it's not that, that these are so seldom, it's that these are so frequent because we've been writing about this for 3,000 years. And so <laughs> it's like, hey, th- th- these things are a dime a dozen. Right, right. And, and I guess, you know, at the time to be able to say that and make that comparison to compare all these different religious contexts at the time, probably. Uh, quite, quite, quite controversial. And in some ways, maybe today it is in certain circles as well. But, uh, you know, here he is putting that all together and saying here in a way is a roadmap to maybe something better. Yes, exactly. And 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 he says something that's critically important. And that's a, a, bi- a big reason why all these people were wanting to come and hear him is because he, way before Freud, developed this idea of the subconscious. He was one of the early, early pioneers in the subconscious. And he says, look, I can't prove it. But I'm pretty sure that this desire to, to, to move towards some new form of regeneration of the human spirit comes to us from the subconscious. If this is a natural thing or, or if it's a spiritual thing, I don't know. But you hey. know what? If it's a spiritual thing, it's better. But it may just be natural. We don't know. We don't know what this God is. We don't even know if this is a natural process. That's why he says, this is all agnostic. We are all agnostics because nobody gets to go behind that screen, that veil into the subconscious to see how it works. We really, the, the, those really, those experiences we have are, <clears throat> they're fleeting, they're hard to explain, they're deeply personal, they're only understood by the individual, they're highly difficult to articulate. You know, these are the kinds of things that really cause us to say, you know, if you want to go figure out what God is, good luck. We don't know. And so in that sense, all agnostics. Yeah. I mean, how do you describe a physical experience with language? I mean, language is just a metaphor for something that is happening viscerally inside of us. And that can be really, really difficult. But we can see that there's some line or, you know, like I said earlier, some kind of vein through it all. And he gives it a voice. And so let's go to the next step where Bill W., one of the founders of 12-step group, finds this work and starts to create something. Exactly. And so he was visited by his friend, Evie Thatcher, and, and then they call this the, the, the conversation around the dining room table or whatever, the kitchen table, the kitchen table conversation. And Abby Thatcher you know, talks about the Oxford group, and he talks about this book, The Varieties of Religious Experience. He gives Bill W. a copy. And then Bill W. goes back into the clinker. He goes back into the uh, uh, Townsend Hospital, which is this, like, drunk, you know, sort of dry out, you know, rehab, where they're trying all kinds of sort of primitive procedures and therapies. And he has sort of a, a, an, a, an experience. And then he begins to read the book, and, and the book, you know, explains what happened to him. So that's where the idea gets germinated, where uh, the varieties of religious experience is married to his experience with the Oxford group. And he begins to, you know, write about, you know, um, sort of he begins to write the big book a couple of years later. So you start to write your book and you walk through the 12 steps with this foundation of his work, not Bill W., um, William James. And you start to start to kind of pull apart from his his work 
to look through the 12 steps. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know it's kind of hard to explain. So what, what I did is I, I, I outlined the entire 450 pages of varieties twice, and then I outlined the, the big book, uh, fourth edition, and the 12 and 12, and as Bill sees it. And what is that, what I did is I just kept on looking for the patterns, right? And I meshed them. Right. I guess you can mesh them together. I guess is, is what you you know what what you articulated earlier on. I, I meshed them together, and I showed how there's some a lot of uncanny similarities, not just in the writings of Bill Wilson and the other people who you know contributed mm-hmm. to the writing, right? New York and in Akron, Ohio, but but many of the stories in the back. Have without knowing it, right? I, I, I like your 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 analogy to, to, to sort of these the, the, these myths, right? A lot of people articulated precisely what William James was saying without knowing it, and and I I, I put together these uh, a lot of this in terms of, it, but in the context of twelve steps, and so the book is outlined in the twelve steps uh, of the of the twelve step movement, and I think the book is also perfectly adequate for uh, people in Al Anon and and adult children of uh, alcoholics, ACOA and CODA, because I think that the soul sickness is identical. Right. And I, I, I think your work opens this up because it takes it out of uh, the context of like one religion, but into this is our experience, our personal experience, that this is something that only we can do. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, because like you said earlier, it's we're the only ones that know it because we it's personal to us. That's right, exactly. And so, so uh, yeah, there, there's five sort of marks of this, and he sort of describes it as a personal experience. He also describes it as sort of a mystical experience, where um, that higher power meets us in the gutter, right? The higher power meets us in the gutter, and he said, you know, God is not to be believed. God is not to be defined. This God is to be used. We and this God have higher power, have, have, have a business with each other. Um, and I love it. On the retail level, not on the wholesale level. So is there something out there that responds to our personal needs? You better damn believe it. And, and I'm not telling you this because I, it happened to me. I'm telling you this because it's been happening for 3,000 years, and we've been writing the damn thing down for 3,000 years. And by the way, it works. You know, this is a guy who was, he's the, he also is the founder of American pragmatism. We, we right. do it because it works. And, and that's why I'm here today talking to you about this, this book, you know, in, in this series of lecture he gave back in 1902 in Edinburgh. It works. And it's been working for 3,000 years. And I'm trying to explain to you sort of how it works and why it works and 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 the ins and outs of what I think is a subconscious that we have never talked about before. And so you're exactly right. And so and a lot of the, what I just said to you is really a lot of the foundation of what the 12 steps are all about. Right. Yeah, definitely. And and you move through it. One of the, the things I like, you, you know, in 12 step, it's it's this surrender, right? You let go, you give it to this to something bigger than yourself. Right. Okay. So in a, in a way, you're that's a change in your thinking in the world. It's uh, if you look at like mindfulness or radical acceptance or anything like that, it's like giving it up. It's it's uh, surrendering to it all the way through that process, all the way to, you know, when you look at like uh, at the end of the 12 steps service and uh, like what you say, being decent in an indecent world. Right. Like learning to do do that. And here's the formula. 
Exactly, exactly. And, and so what he's very clear about is that this is something that is, is almost impossible to explain. It's very brief and it's ephemeral. And yet we had, there is a powerful sense of, of knowing that this happened. And he has a beautiful analogy. He says, this is like looking uh, down on the beach from a promontory. So, so the, these experiences that we have are reaching out for a higher power as our lower self is falling to pieces. I love that because my lower self was falling to pieces. Let me tell you. <laughs> right. So we jump higher power as our uh, lower self is falling to pieces. We only seem to have a grasp of that from a distance. I really like that because that is very much what happened to me when I just sort of fell apart and I needed to pick up my life. You know, I, I love that phrase, you know, we're not, you know, we're not falling apart, but when we think we're falling apart, we're actually falling together. And I think that that's really the essence of what he's talking about is we jump onto a higher, better self when our lower self is falling to pieces. That's really the essence of what's happening here during a moment of self-despair. And that separation that takes place, even if you want to, in some places I've heard it called like the impartial observer, that, yes. that part of ourselves that able able to look at ourselves. And sometimes we're so caught in the bottom self, it's all absorbing, it's it's all of that, that we that, that split has to happen somehow. Yeah. And yes. I guess they call that, sometimes they call that the bottom, however that's made or created, we're somehow able to, to do it. And then from there, we can begin to build back our, our sense of self. And then once again, going back to that, you know, being decent in an indecent world, like starting to give back, starting to share the story, the journey, the hero's journey, if you want to call it that. A great way to put it, uh, the impartial self. He, he has a couple of beautiful, and there's so many beautiful analogies. He uses analogy after analogy to get something to stick. And, and what he talks about when we um, are falling to pieces is we, uh, we, we're jumping onto this higher self as our lower self is falling to pieces. We um, are able to shed something critically important. We get rid of the shams. The shams are finished. We realize that we are all made of the same clay. The convict and the lunatic and the doctor are all one. So there's a sense of we are all made of the same clay. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. We are all beggars in the, in, in the sight of this higher power somehow, seeking um, some sort of salvation, peace of mind. He, I love the word he uses, a regeneration. Uh, there's there's you know, a dead self becomes a live self. You know, and I think that's a very beautiful way of putting it, right? Uh, the, the sense of regeneration is really what I think is one of the most fascinating and exciting parts of it. And that regeneration comes from, we, we, we tear off the, the old bandages that are, you know, dirty and, and, and festering, and we let the sunshine of the spirit come into these old ancient wounds. And when this happens, we are often gifted with this, um, the gift of tears. And he says, the gift of tears, is a dam that wipes away the ancient sins. And, and that's kind of describing like step four and five. And, and then, then six and seven is basically, if this higher power can work so convincingly in, in these powerful parts of our lives, why can't this higher power work in other parts of our lives where we have things that, that, that are happening to us or things that we're doing that we find unacceptable? And it's all about a sense of honesty and getting rid of the shams. And he has a great yep. phrase, 
smearing um, the ointment of legitimacy all over ourselves. (laughs) It's like embracing, finally being able to embrace our humanity with all the 3000 year history to back it up. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I like that. So so there's an embracing of, hey, I'm human. I am exactly one with everybody else. We are all made of the same clay. We all come into the world naked. Out, uh, and and in, a, in a way, we are, in some ways, you know, he uses the word, we are destitute, right? And we have to rebuild this. And, and it's from this sense of destitution that we rebuild ourselves. And when, 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 when all the shams and all the lies and the dishonesty are peeled away, right? We have to let this peel away, uh-huh. right? And, and, and trust that a higher power will uh, respond to our plea, right? And, right. And, and his basic question is, okay, so does this happen? And, and he said, it's been happening for 3,000 years, for God's sakes. And number two, how does it happen? If it's natural, fine, I'll take it. If it's spiritual, even better. Right. Um, because right. most of these occurrences happen in the realm of spirituality. And he says, that's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> that's like all we know, right? It's like we exactly. to... That's why all of us are agnostics. And let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can I totally get that. And then you, you're moving further as, you, as you're moving through the 12 steps. And you're, you're getting into that now dealing with chaotic emotions and purging fear in the next part of it. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's right. And so, so in six and seven, we talk about all those you know, shortcomings or whatever you, you have that, that, that are that get in the way. And, and, and whether it's uh, fear, self-pity, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, all of these are, th- th- he says, they're, they're, it's, it's great. He says they're useless. <laughs> and if, if they don't have a function, if they're useless, get rid of them. Right. right. And, and, and look at the opposite. Right. And, and, you know, looking toward a life of union, right? We're, we're looking toward a life where my my in, my inner self is united. I, I'm, I'm no longer in conflict with myself and, and with the world. Uh, there's a sense of peace. We accept the universe. That's a critically important part of a lot of the thinking of these spiritual movements of the last you know, many, many centuries is we accept the universe, right? And so it's, that's kind of the same thing as we accept things you know, where they are. He has a great line uh, between Margaret Fuller and Thomas Carlyle uh, talking, and, and Margaret Fuller said, you know, I accept the universe, and Thomas Carlyle's response is, egad, you better, you know. <laughs> uh, we got about 100 million stars coming at us, and we're like a little teeny tiny <laughs> solar little system. Here. We, we should really, ex- you know, hey, you know what, accept the universe, you're going to be in big trouble. Uh, I always say that, to me, I always call that, that's like Carl Saganing it. You know, you're Carl Sagan it. It's like the universe is just mad. It's just amazing and huge and big. And it's just yeah, it's yeah. very small in it. Yeah. I learned today that the, the universe is 99 billion light years wide, right? So just think about that. 99 billion light years is what our quantifiable universe is at the moment. And on our solar system is, I think, 250,000 light years. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's better accept the universe. You better accept it. It is, yeah, it is what it is. And moving through, and then, and then slowly, like you talk about, like finding forgiveness and moving through this process. I, I, I appreciate you kind of outlining this this work because I think so many people, you know, want to understand, you know, if they're stuck in that space, how, how do I, how do I move? 
how do I get out of here? I mean, I'm in pain. Yeah. So we look at like steps eight and nine and 10 and 11. Talk about that a little bit and we'll keep kind of going through. You know, one of the things about you, William James, that that is, and, and, and you know, I, I've, I've worked in so many different programs. I, I quit smoking using the 12 steps. I've been in Al-Anon for many, many, many years. And, um, you know, one of the people who helped me through the Al-Anon process was telling me, you know, we don't go around excusing behavior. The, the, the yeah. power of there, right? We forgive the behavior. And one of the things that William James spends a lot of time on and is critical to all this, something that we just don't want to do, we, we find pity for our oppressor. And that's mm-hmm. one of the key to forgiveness. And he talks a lot about this, but we can, when we can get to the, the, the end goal of find, finding pity for our oppressor, we, we let ourselves out of these self-constructed prisons. Because he, at the beginning of the book, he's, he said, I'm a doctor. I'm going to give you a complaint, right? You're going to give me a complaint. I'm going to give you a solution. You are coming here and your complaint is, I've created a self-constructed prison. And I'm going to tell you, this is how you can get out. And the end game, of it, which is, gets into step, you know, uh, into step nine, is the only way out of a self-constructed prison is uh, forgiveness. And I think that's so beautiful. And then, and then of course, steps 10 and 11 are the, those, the ability to to rediscover that regeneration periodically when we lose it, because, you know, we, we, we can, you know, emotionally or spiritually relapse. And, and it goes through all kinds of means of getting back that, that sense of regeneration through, he t- he's an early guy, yoga, right? right? Meditation, exercise. You know, he goes through about 50 different ways that, that people have gone through these types of spiritual exercises in order to regenerate themselves. And, and, and the book is, is, is so rich. And I, I go through, I give like 20 different examples uh, from his ideas in that chapter on uh, step 10 and 11 uh, in the book. And, and the book can be, uh, the book can be a, a, a paragraph a day. You don't have to read it like a book. You can read it like a meditation, you know? So it's yeah. good that way. Yeah. And, you know, because we're, we're human. So it's almost like we're going to do this journey several times on several different levels of the self and it's we're going to go back and forth and life is hard and bad things happen and once again it's you know we'll go back to accepting our humanity and then being able to have that foundation and and continue to progress forward and and give back yeah exactly and then so in step 12 just briefly uh, before we wrap up you know, step 12, he has a very powerful thing. And he's saying this in front of all these, like, you know, very highly respected religious theologians and bishops and, and God knows who else. Uh, and it's amazing that they didn't, like, you know, um, burn him at the stake. But, but, but he said, you know, if we go off today, if anybody goes off and has a spiritual experience and wants to write all these nice things about it, let every single book written about spirituality be consigned to flames if there is no resulting action to help others, right? He's very clear about this. If, I, if I'm not helping anybody else, I'm a fraud because the, spiritual, the whole point of a spiritual experience is to get to the point where you can help others because the fundamental point of helping others is self-forgetfulness. And, and the, the more that we indulge, the, the engage in self-forgetfulness, the better off we are going to be because we get away from that oppressive ego which wants to reassert itself. And, and, and uh, so it's beautiful, beautiful stuff. Paul, I love just having this conversation with you. It's so rich. This thread that you're talking about, I see over and over again. 
in my work as a therapist and even doing this podcast, this hero's journey, if you want to call it, like Campbell calls it, or, you know, moving through this process, there's just this common theme and that this is available to anybody who wants it per se to, to seek it and get it. And there's a recipe here almost, if that makes sense. Yeah. And he goes down and he said, by the way, he says that, that the, the, the more lunatic and the more insane and the more wretched some of these people are in our history, those are some of the greatest saints. Saint, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, Augustine, Saint Paul. These were wretched, awful, awful people, but they serve as examples of worthy um, imitation. Really good points. Augustine was a harlot, you know. St. Paul was a cruel, bastard tax collector. Ignatius of Loyola was a uh, ruthless ship commander. You know, these were not nice people, and suddenly something happened to them. The last one I'd give you, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. Right, one of the most beautiful songs in the entire you know, history of, of church, of, of you know, spiritual music. Uh, he was the um, master of a slave ship, right? That, that's probably one yeah. of the worst possible jobs you could have as a human being. And so uh, this is two things. This is open to all. And lastly, and I'll end with this, a spiritual experience. It is a gift or it is nothing. It is a gift or it is nothing. And I just love that. Awesome. I usually ask this question, but I think you just answered it at the end of the podcast, which is if you could say one thing to anybody out there who's struggling, what would you say? Buy my book. No, <laughs> buy my book. I love it. Buy it, read it. There's a recipe right there. Take it. Yeah. Reach out to the universe. The universe will reach back. Promise. Awesome. All right. How can people find you if they want to find your book? Where can they find it? How can they find you? Oh, it's on Kindle, um, and you gave the, you gave the title, and I'm I'm around. I'm I'm a pretty high profile guy in LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn, and then my email is address is on LinkedIn, and so I'm there. Yeah, you'll, you'll be able to see it. Awesome, yeah. thank you, Paul, okay. so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're so welcome. Have a great day, and reach out anytime. All right, thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So check that out. And once again, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, you're getting a lot out of it, please rate and review in iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. That really does help get the podcast a lot of exposure and helps people find the podcast. And I really do appreciate it. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addictive Mind podcast. Click join. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful day. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. 
We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.